Hello, this is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry from the Pacific Northwest of the United States. We have been talking about T cells, T lymphocytes, for the last uh, four episodes. We're going to continue on today, and today is, of course, the 17th of August, 2019, uh, with a further discussion of the regulation of what are known as T regulatory cells. These to be called T suppressor cells because they tend to suppress inflammation. So when you think about T lymphocytes, remember that they are key players in acquired immunity, that they interact with antigen-presenting cells via uh, a, a series of surface receptors. Most important, of course, the T cell receptor on the T cell, interacting with a major histocompatibility complex receptor containing an antigen on a professional antigen-presenting cell, such as a dendrocyte. Uh, that's one type. There are several, actually, of course. Uh, but, the, but the dendritic cell tends to be the one that carries information from the innate immune response, like a local inflammatory um, sector of tissue, and sends that information to T cells and then activates T cells according to specific lineages. Those lineages uh, can be helper cells, or they can be regulatory cells, or they can be memory cells. Helper cells, they have kind of a weak name, like helping, but actually they are the potent effector cells. So they're also called TFs or T effector cells. And by effector, that means they do the work. What work? They enhance an inflammatory response. They interact with B cells, becoming then plasma cells, generating the glycoproteins known as antibodies, also known as immunoglobulins, which are specified because of recombination to be specific to antigens they've seen before, or they're induced to recognize new antigen. T cell and T cell receptor mediated through its interaction with a professional antigen presenting cell, and then localized and being repositioned and vectored to locations uh, via the stream of chemokines and cytokines, which act as trail indicators for T lymphocyte movement, uh, and then eventually, of course, B lymphocyte movement, and then uh, annihilation of, say, an inflammatory um, tissue, if that's what's necessary. For example, if it is compromised by virus or fungus or bacteria, or outright killing any of those microorganisms, or, of course, to a site that is, that is involved in massive cell division, such as in a tumor. So it's a very brief overview of what we've been talking about in terms of what T cells are in. Now, the T regulatory cells, they don't act like those T effector cells. They're not there to be potent killers of, say, a foreign organism or destruct, to destroy a foreign substance, which is antigenic. Um, what they actually do is they suppress that active inflammatory response. So they put the brakes on. And they must do that, otherwise inflammation can get out of control. When that happens, you have the real you run the risk of getting auto inflammation. So if you be if you have an auto inflammatory response, you can the body can actually start generating uh, uh, this whole uh, acquired immune system against self antigens, and that means against uh, self cells, and that can destroy tissue, of course. And, and if that happens. Uh, the organism is complete meltdown, shutdown. They can kill the person, actually. So, I, and I also talked about how the acquired immune system is found in jawed vertebrates, 
and that it's a recent uh, molecular evolution, about a half a billion years. I know that sounds a long time ago, but uh, relative to everything else that goes on in biochemistry, that is relatively uh, a, a newer event. Uh, it's down there in the you know 20% uh, range of, of what has happened since the beginning of life, maybe 10, 15% if you think about archaea, but I'm digressing. Anyways, um, so T regulatory cells are really important with the brakes on T effector cells. So let's get back to our discussion about the T regs. So I was telling you last time, the T reg cells are um, activated by a transcription factor called FOXP3. What FOXP3 does is it amplifies the expression of CTLA4, CD25, and it down regulates the expression of interleukin-2, which is, of course, a pro-inflammatory cytokine. So when it does that, FOXP3 acts to control the core module of the Treg suppressor function. It does so by regulating expression of those key molecules like CTLA-4 and CD25. So those molecules like CTLA-4 and CD25, they work at the level of the antigen-presenting cell, right? So CTL-4 will bind to CD80 on an APC, that's the antigen-presenting cell, and in so doing will interact and determine what that antigen-presenting cell is doing relative to T effector cells that it's also interacting with, because I explained that to you already via the T cell receptor. And those T effector cells then stop proliferating and stop their activation motif as long as that CTLA-4 is being bound to the CD80, for example, on the professional antigen-presenting cell. CTLA-4 will also bind to CD86, by the way, on APCs. So that's what happens in the core Treg module. Also in Treg, you have TH-like module. Uh, the TH means that it's like a T helper cell. In fact, I told you at the very beginning of these uh, segments of this this whole stream of consciousness of T cells that we started. Now this is the fifth in the in the series that you can switch, you can flip, you can get a Treg to turn into a TH. So that happens by changing transcription patterns, change transcriptional. Uh, factor uh, the transcription factors, you change the expression of genes, you can change the final fate and differentiation of T cells, right? You can even de-differentiate, depending on how far along the level of terminal differentiation they are. So TH-like module in a Treg increases TH homing receptors. That's going to be your cytokine chemokine event. And it's actually going to increase the TH-like cytokines. And we talked about those. For example, just one example, like TH17 produces IL-17, duh. So then I told you, though, before that these TH-like Tregs include the T follicular cells. The T follicular cells are going to have a homing receptor of chemokine receptor 5. And T follicular cells are going to express FOXP3, but they're also going to express BCL6. TH1-like Tregs. FOXP3, it's always there, but TBET is a, is a co-transcription factor. It's going to respond to the homing receptor, um, chemokine receptor 3 or CXCR3. TH2-like Tregs are all, again, always going to express FOXP3, but it's also going to express IRF4, and it's going to respond to the homing receptor CCR8. Okay, so that's the actual chemokine, not the, so that's a very specific one. And then the last is a TH17 type of TH regulatory cell. Again, FOXP3, but it's going to also express a lot of STAT3. It's going to do that JEC STAT pathway we talked about in previous episodes. And it's going to respond to CCR6. So, 
All of that allows Tregs to suppress T effector activation and proliferation, and it does so by suppressing the antigen-presenting cell function by basically um, interacting with that CTLA-4 and possibly also depriving interleukin-2 from those TH cells. So some interleukin-2 will bind to that CD25 receptor on the surface of the Treg, and that'll basically dilute or it'll... It'll pull the pool of interleukin-2. Remember, it's very potent pro-inflammatory cytokine for T-effector cells. The pull it away from T, uh, activating T-effector cells will bind to the Treg, and that way it'll remove the relative concentration. The molarity will decrease, right? There'll be a less molar concentration of interleukin-2 in the resident association of the antigen-presenting cell, the T-effector cells, and that Treg, which is trying to shut things down. An additional TH-like module I just told you about, uh, which also has a pressure function, uh, can be induced, and that causes the Tregs to make all those TH-like transcription factors. And I just went through that with you. Now, all of this, what I've just been talking about, I got from a Frontiers in Immunology paper published in June of 2012. So I'm trying to keep track of all the papers. I've probably already covered a dozen papers in my uh, episodes on T-cells, at least. All right. Now, let's talk about what's going on with this paper, okay? This is a paper that's published in Experimental and Molecular Medicine, volume 51, and the article number is 80, published in 2019. Let me tell you something about a whole new factor, a whole new transcription factor. It's called nuclear factor interleukin-3, or NFIL-3. It's also known as the E4 binding protein 4, just to make it a little more complicated. So that's E4BP4. And what it is is a repressor of numerous genes. Infil 3 contains a basic leucine zipper domain. If you don't know what that means, it's okay. Leucine zipper domains are found in transcription factors. Those are proteins, of course, and leucine is an amino acid in a sequence of proteins that makes a zipper domain. So it binds to the DNA molecule. And actually, that zipper domain is found between amino acids 73 and 146 among some 460-odd residues. The N-terminal part of that domain, it's a domain of the protein, NFIL3, directly binds the DNA, I just said that, while the C-terminal region is responsible for hormone heterodimerization of the protein. Which very often you get a dimerization of proteins. I think about it like snapping around the DNA molecule. It's often what happens in transcription factors. Actually, it also happens on receptors in the plasma membrane. So that's not the only time you have that happen. So the amino acids 299 and 366 are the transcriptional repressor domain. That's where they're specific. So the NFIL3 represses genes by recruiting, now this is really cool, a histone deacetylase 2 and a G9A histone methyl transferase. So these are now what? Epigenetic changes, right? Yeah. If you recruit a histone deacetylase, you're going to remove acetate from histones. When you remove acetate and when you add methyl, because you're adding a G9 histone methyl transferase, you actually start to shut down gene transcription. Okay, you make heterochromatin that way. And with all that methylation, with all the hydrophobic methyl group, you don't have the convenience of getting a lot of RNA polymerase and all the other proteins necessary to set up the transcription um, module. All right, so all of that happens. Infill represses genes by recruiting the deacetylase 2, the histomethyltransferase G9A. It regulates diverse biological processes. So this has been known for some time. What kind of processes? Circadian rhythms, 
cellular viability, like whether or not you're going to be uh, go through necrosis or apoptosis, for example. And in fact, even metabolic pathways, like in uh, the liver, hepatic metabolism, which is like something, this is how I got into it because I'm a metabolic biochemist, lipid biochemist, but metabolic biochemist in the general sense. And immune cells, NFIL3 plays a key role in B cell IgE class switching. Okay, so the IgE is, of course, the, the, the immunoglobulin so normally recruited when you've got some kind of allergic response, right? And th there's also a development of natural killer cells, right? So infill 3 binds to the IgE promoter and stimulates IgE production as well. So you get IgE synthesis from what? From, from plasma cells, B cells, plasma cells, that's the immunoglobulin the made. So infill 3 deficient mice show a dramatic natural killer cell loss due to the influence of that factor on natural killer cell development, okay? And also... Uh, that NFIL3 is necessary for not only development of the NK cell, but maturation and function. So if you have a lot of NFIL around, you don't have a lot of NK. So NFIL is important for natural killer cells. And remember, those are a different kind of lymphocyte. Those don't need a lot of filigree or Baroque um, plasma membrane-associated receptors to do their killing. They can home in on cytokines and chemokines. They can kill cells right away, such as tumor cells, um, such as viral um, uh, challenge cells, without a whole lot of other interaction. Natural killer cells are actually kind of like almost a proto-acquired uh, immune response. And we talked about that in the past. Anyway, infill 3 deficient mice also exhibit, now dig this, interleukin-12 P40 expression in colon tissue. And that induces, now it's deficient, Th1 differentiation. And you know what you get with that. I said colon. Yep, spontaneous colitis. So that's another reason people are interested in infill 3 Because if you have low levels of it, you can get an interleukin-12 P40 expression system in the colon. That's right on the epithelia. And boy, what that causes is Th1 differentiation. And boy, what that causes is spontaneous colitis. Th2 cytokines are also in this mix. They're affected by NFIL3, and they're, they, what they do is they, what happens is in Th2 cytokines, you get an increase in expression of those Th2 class cytokines, which are what? IL-5, 13, uh, and that's what happens when you get an NFIL double negative Th2 cell, okay? So you get more of that, so more inflammation. Furthermore, NFIL3 links the circadian rhythm with the immune cell development. It does so by suppressing TH17 determining factor, one of my favorite transcription factors, and that is the retinoic acid orphan receptor gamma T or ROR gamma T. I just love the way it looks on paper uh, or on a screen now, and I also love the way it sounds. I also love the way it works because I love retinoic acid because retinoic acid is what? It is a prenolipid. Right. And so lipids, lipids, lipids. I'm a lipid biochemist. I have lipids on the brain because lipids control everything in the cell. Let's face it. All right. Let's talk about now some hypothetical deductions here. If the transcription factor in fill three, OK, the one we're talking about, directly controls Treg activation, which is kind of what we that summary of what I was talking about in fill three kind of says that. Right. Then studying either a knockout or an overexpression of infill 3 might trigger an opposing sequential response, right? Yeah. Okay. So if non-activated Tregs normally express negligible infill 3, that's a transcription factor that's up on deck right now we're talking about. Remember, 
as compared to the constellation of CD4 T cell lineages, then overexpression should give the greatest fold effect. Okay, so that's what we're saying, right? Since infill three reduces FOXP3, whoa, there you go, right? Gene expression, remember FOXP3, Treg, FOXP3, Treg. So if infill three reduces FOXP3 gene expression by binding to the promoter on, remember those CNSs one through three on the promoter region we talked about just last time? And also by physically interacting with the FOXP3 protein in residence in the nucleus, then the signaling likely occurs. And through that locus, the Tregs are tanked. Okay. So two different ways of, of um, corrupting the FOXP3 transcriptional motifs. One is it binds to those uh, CNSs. Remember, those are not those are non-coding sequences, but those are part of the enhancer elements of making FOXP3 at the transcriptional level. So it blocks it, expression of the gene, and also binds directly to the protein so it doesn't work well in the nucleus. And, all, and of course, so the protein is itself a transcription factor. All right. Materials and methods for this paper, they use inbred mice. They were steadily expressing a FOXP3-regulated uh, green fluorescent protein. Okay, so this is going to be one of those papers where they look at uh, green fluorescence um, uh, with microscopy, and they're going to be able to say, oh, look, we manipulated FOXP3, and look, we either got an increase or a decrease in fluorescence. You see, that's how it works. So reporter gene, that's called. And uh, and they do so, they, they have this really cool system, which is a uh, homologous recombination uh, directed event. It's the FOXP3 Cree activated, and now they use a yellow fluorescent protein. So they have FOXP3 acting as a transcription factor to induce Cree recombinase, which then actuates the yellow fluorescent protein. So they have a green protein that's directly expressed, uh, uh, regulated by FOXP3. Then they have this Cree, which also turn on the yellow fluorescent protein. So it's a two-way module, or uh, I should say um, modularity of gene expression. These are both now, again, these reporter genes, the GFP and the YFP, so that you get a visual indication via microscopy and also you do densitometry, you do quantification, not just qualification, to say, ah, look, FOXP3 is acting. So it's an indirect method of detecting FOXP3. It's very good though. So that, that's one of the materials and methods. They have inbred mice are expressing those uh, gene constructs. They also have isolated CD4 plus cells. Remember, those are the progenitors and in vitro induce them with cytokines. Okay, all makes sense. Is how you'd work with T-cells. They also have growth factors to differentiate into several lineages of the T-regs and all the T-helper cells. This is, again, just part and parcel of what you do when you have T-cells in culture. They used RNA quantitative real-time PCR, of course. So that's reverse transcriptase real-time PCR, quantitative. They also use monoclonal antibody flow cytometry, to all the membrane-associated cytokine receptors and the transcription factors. So they did all their work, right? It looks fine. They ran CHIP, right, which is chromosomal uh, activation. And uh, uh, they looked. They, they generated instability assay. They did an RNA-seq platform, and they did all these reporter gene assays, the yellow fluorescent green fluorescent protein. So they did a good job in this paper. All right. Now, what they found, I'm looking at a figure that was produced. First of all, the very first thing to notice is that Genes are differentially expressed between Treg and non-Treg cells. So they did this by typical RNA microarray, and they found a bunch of genes that were expressed in Treg cells. 
that are not expressed in non-Treg cells. So I'm not going to go through all the different genes here, but the ones, for example, that are negatively expressed, okay, one of the ones that was negatively expressed was, again, this NFIL3. So in a Treg, I'm looking at a Western blot of an uh, NFIL3 protein, looking at a CD4 cell subset, taking CD4, naive CD4 T cells and stimulating them with, with uh, conditions that would stimulate Th1, Th2, Th17, or Treg polarizing. Uh, and they're using beta-actin as the uh, protein control. Beta-actin doesn't change in the Western blot. But Th1, Th2, Th17 upon stimulation, yes, indeed. Lots of infill 3 Treg, very small amounts. So it looks like low infill 3 that means you have a Treg population. That's what it's all it's really saying. And, there, and uh, then they show some more data, infill messenger RNA expression. Each subset was measured. So they're looking at the RNA. They did the flow cytometry. They looked at the different expression of the yellow fluorescent protein. And what they determined was that the FOXP3 was controlled by the NFIL. Okay. So low NFIL3, lots of FOXP3 as, as, uh, as measured by looking at those fluorescent protein expression patterns. Okay, either by using the uh, recombinase, the Cree, uh, LOXP Cree um, recombinase system to turn on the EYFP, or by direct control of the GFP. Right? So they, they show that gene expression changes based on the amount of FOXP3. So it's all good. Everything's working, see? And also, they already told you now that NFIL3 is low in the Tregs. Again, that's important because that's what they're trying to figure out. So... The next uh, data uh, uh, slide I'm looking at is showing you that TGF-beta signaling down-regulates in NFIL3. So if, in, if, if NFIL3 is low in Tregs, which is what it is, why is it low? What's controlling it? So NFIL3 mRNA expression levels in the CD4T lymphocytes uh, with and without TGF-beta were determined, again, using quantitative real-time uh, uh, RNA-based PCR. The cells are cultured, they're plate-bound, and CD3 is used as the antibody to make sure you got the right cell lineage. They use a soluble anti-CD28 antibody, and they ran the experiment out for a couple of days to make sure that you get set binding saturation. They had a TGF-beta at one concentration, which is my only argument. They probably should have used, used a range of concentrations to look at the amplitude change in the signal, but they didn't do that. And for those of you that are really interested, they use five nanogram per mil of TGF beta. They looked at the levels of infill. They also had this cis, this SIS. This SIS is an inhibitor of SMAD. So these SIS inhibition of SMAD upregulates TGF beta. So see, now they're not just using, right, TGF beta. They're using what they think is the signal transduction cascade, the SMAD which then regulates TGF-beta. So basically what, if you inhibit SMAD, this is just a protein that gets phosphorylated. I did talk about it earlier in this, in this uh, panoply of discussions of T-cells. So go back and listen. If you inhibit SMAD, that allows infill to rise, okay? And that's exactly what they see. They're look, I'm looking at histograms here. Uh, this is all at the RNA level. You get higher levels of infill three when you use this cis. Okay, remember that's blocking the SMAD. Okay, so inhibition of SMAD allows infill three to rise, and 
FOXP3 drop. So it looks like you're using the SMAD system, signal transduction cascade, which is a phosphorylation domain cascade, to control the level of TGF-beta. TGF-beta is, is, is then involved in tanking the infill. Got it? Good. And this is the transcriptional level. Final thing they looked at is RNA is measured again by uh, reverse uh, transcriptase in real-time quantitative PCR. And the cells, of course, have cultured um, uh, for three days. And so all three of the data sets show, that, show this response, okay? So they show that FOXP3 is tanked by inhibiting the SMAD. They show that uh, infill in 3 is uh, uh, increased when you um, uh, inhibit the SMAD because you think that infill 3 is negatively regulating FOXP3, right? And that's what's going on. And, and we also show the TGF-beta controls infill. So that followed all that scenario beautifully. So let's summarize. We're at a summary point here in the data, and then we're going to stop for today. The evidence that infill stops Treg activation in doing so by inhibiting FOXP3 expression is the following. Remember, infill 3 stops Treg activation by inhibiting FOXP3 expression. Upon infill 3 overexpression, Two other factors, IFNG and interleukin-13 RNA levels increased in Th1 and Th2 cells respectively, while those of interleukin-17A and FOXP3 decreased in Th17 cells and in Tregs respectively. Okay, you got that? Consistent with the uh, PCR data, flow cytometry analysis of protein expression, okay, so now they're doing the, the flow using the antibodies, showed that interferon gamma and interleukin-13 levels increased while interleukin 17A and FOXP3, FOXP3 levels decreased in response to infill overexpression. Infill overexpression, decrease in FOXP3, decrease in activation of Tregs. Full stop. Together, those results then suggest that infill 3 enhances Th1 and Th2 cell differentiation, but at the same time inhibits Th17 and Treg. Th17 are pro-inflammatory, but they're a unique subset, so don't worry about that. In fact, Tregs can turn into them. What about that? Overexpression of infill 3 attenuates then FOXP3 expression in Treg cells. Infill 3 represses FOXP3 promoter activity and reduces the expression of all the other Treg marker genes, but are going to be downstream, of course. Infill 3 probably binds to the FOXP3 gene to control its expression, is the next thing I told you. They, to test that, they did a chip assay. Um, uh, again, that's a chromatin immunoprecipitation assay. They took naive CD4 T cells. They transfected with a control or with infill 3 flag. It's another uh, reporter gene overexpressing vector. And culture and, and flag also allows them to antibody um, isolation. You, under a Treg polarizing condition, the anti-flag antibody, so using antibody to the flag protein, was used to precipitate infill 3 because they made the they made a transcriptional uh, translational fusion. The chip results show that infill 3 directly binds to several regulatory elements of FOXP3. What are those? We already mentioned CNS1, 2, and 3. Locking up the rain, preventing the expression of FOXP3 at the transcription level. So beautiful. Okay, finally, to examine whether infill 3 physically interacts with FOXP3 to control it, at FOXP3, they investigated the protein-protein interactions, and they found the same thing, coherent immunoprecipitated. So infill 3 attenuates Treg stability, Enfil 3 overexpressing Treg cells, it looked like Th1 cells. Yeah. So 
get the idea. TRAG being regulated negatively by Enfil, and that's the and it does so via that SMAD reaction, uh, and is doing it both inscriptional and post-transcriptional level. And that's the story for today. This is Authentic Biochemistry. This is Dr. Daniel Guerra, and I'm saying bye for now.